You are listening to Australia's tax news podcast, Tax Talks, the podcast for Australian tax professionals. Welcome to episode 58 of Tax Talks. This is Heidi Robson. If you have SMSFs as clients, you will have looked into Class, BGL or Supermate. Those are the three large administration platforms for SMSFs in Australia. But there's a tiny fourth one that many of us have heard of, the cloud, but most of us probably don't know much about, at least I didn't. So I met with Ashley Porter, the CEO and founder of McLeod, to find out more. My first question to Ashley is, what made you start McLeod? Here's Ashley. I originally trained as a lawyer. This is going back, I shudder to admit, 30-odd years. But about 20 years ago, I did an MBA at Melbourne Business School. I had been involved in the technology sector as a lawyer for a number of years, and my entrepreneurial spirits were sort of building and eventually decided I'd like to be on the other side of the transaction and did an MBA. And I started an existing software company in location-based services at a time when that area was just evolving. And it was through that experience of building up that business and working with a global team of developers that really was the the foundation for McLeod because I had no background in, in SMSF. But to address the question of the genesis of McLeod, it all came about because about six or seven years ago, my mother received a bill from an accounting firm in Sydney for the administration of her fund. She was 73 at the time, and I was shocked by the fees. What was it? Can you remember? It was like 6000 for admin and 2000 for audit. That is a lot. It, 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 it was even, just... Even nowadays, that is oh, a lot. It's even just... It was mind-blowing. It yes. was mind-blowing. Uh, and and I, was, um, I was enraged... <laughs> By, by the transaction. And so all of a sudden, the SMSF sector popped up on my radar screen and I sat down with the team of developers that I'd been working with for nearly 10 years at that point. And we had a vision for creating an online community that would enable uh, investors, trustees, self-funded retirees like my mother to manage their fund, their retirement assets in a trustee-centric manner. Mum was someone who, even though she was a bookkeeper, she was not empowered because she didn't have access to a technology platform that was sort of trustee-centric. The vendors were very focused on the practitioners, which is fair enough. That's their business model. I understand that. But we came at it very much from a consumer perspective, from a trustee perspective, and built the community in that fashion. And so what we did was to create a technology platform and a services marketplace that allows the consumer to manage the workflow themselves. And it won't be for everybody. You know, I understand that the majority of, of trustees are quite happy and, and too busy to have the time to do everything themselves. But there is also a proportion, as we've seen with the growth of the community, who want to do more. And we have this demographic tsunami coming through as people approach and enter retirement where they're going to have more time. And so the growth of the community, I think, reflects some of those trends yeah, that's the, the, the genesis of McLeod. And also uh, trustees are becoming more tech-savvy yeah. as new generations come through. Yeah, yeah. my mum is 80 and, you know, she, she spends a, a good deal of her time managing her fund on McLeod. In fact, she's, she's a bit disappointed to hear about all this automation that's coming through because she says that she'll have less to do. But she's 80 now, so I think she should just let the forces take their natural course. Mm. 
So BGN and class, we're very much focusing on tax practitioners. Mm -hmm. So you basically saw a large sector of the market being not served at all. Look, being the trustees, we didn't know. We didn't trustees who wanted who want to be more involved. involved. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, I mean, you know, it's called don't want to pay. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But obviously, you know, we needed to be careful because, you know, from a compliance perspective, you couldn't create an online community that didn't deliver the same level of compliance. And that's where we were careful to make sure that you had a services marketplace alongside the technology so that if a, if a trustee, uh, you know, is an ex-practitioner and knows exactly what they're doing, then of course they don't need to go and find help in the marketplace, but they still might need an audit. And so they can find an auditor. But a, a trustee might go, look, I don't want to pay what I've been paying, but I don't really understand all this stuff. So they can, they can go and get admin in the marketplace or they can just buy ad hoc services. It's inherently flexible. And that's really what distinguishes McLeod from the incumbents because McLeod's not a software vendor. We, we have created an online community with a particular purpose. The development of the technology and the way we went about it was critical to the governance because McLeod Proprietary Limited has only $1.3 million on its balance sheet. And that capital light architecture is incredibly important because it reduces the costs and you map that cost structure to the marketplace which is also very flexible, low cost, ad hoc. You can just buy what you need when you need it, which of course is exactly where the you know, whole economy is going, you know, whether it's Airtask or Uber or Airbnb, that the whole economy seems to be getting deconstructed into its constituent parts and you get to choose which parts you want to buy when you need them. So I think that fortunately for McLeod and for the community, some of those mega trends are now very much tailwinds for us and for the trustees as well. You know, you've got trustees in the community whose management expense ratio is four basis points. And there was a, an article on the back page of the AFR on Saturday saying that, well, 1% is not an unreasonable cost structure for the superannuation industry. And I would argue, actually, that's way too much. The target should be 1% of income, not 1% of assets. And that's precisely what more and more trustees are seeing in McLeod is that they can run their self-managed retirement assets for 1% of income, not 1% of assets. Including actuarial certificate, including audit? What's an, what's an actuarial certificate? $100. Audit in the marketplace is $330. So what's that? $430. $430. Data feeds and the software is $70. You're at $500. So if you've got an average balance fund, that's five basis points. If you have the capacity to manage the assets, the compliance function yourself, if you choose not to purchase advice from, from somebody, then you're looking at five basis points, not 100. Hmm. I was actually just chatting with somebody over lunch about the Productivity Commission and how they're saying, you know, it's a million dollars minimum balance. And four people could get together, start a self-managed super fund with 50 grand each from an industry super fund and get cracking. On 200 grand, what's $500? Uh, 10 basis points, 11 basis points or whatever. It's still 90% less than the figure, the benchmark that the AFR was quoting that really it's this, it's, it's almost like saying those superannuation assets are to be subjected to an ad valorem tax of $23 billion. And if you don't like it, too bad, so sad. Well, I'm sorry, but actually no. That's like the taxi industry saying, well, this is what taxis cost 
because cab charges were $700 million and therefore we need to charge this much. Actually, no. Uber comes along and says, no, it costs half that. And the Uberization of SMSF is well underway, I would argue. By the way, this draft report by the Productivity Commission was flawed anyway. <laughs> I hope they were completely I look forward to the time when I, I have enough time to prepare a submission. Oh, I see. But the submission has already closed. Oh, okay. All right. Well, there you go. How does the marketplace work? I'm a trustee. I've processed all my bank transactions. Mm -hmm. Now I realize I need an audit. Mm -hmm. So I go into an area that says audit and then you have 10, 20, 30, 100 auditors listed there who advertise their prices. I assume they have different prices. I assume they set yep. the price themselves. Yep. And then I just click on whoever I want. And then they probably have access to my data and then communicate with me and um, perform the audit. Yeah. Look, you, you were right up until the very end there in the sense that we haven't tightly integrated the marketplace with the accounting software. You're right. When you go to purchase the audit on the marketplace, the auditor should automatically get the audit work papers with the, the notification of the task. Unfortunately, we haven't got there yet, but there are over a dozen auditors in the marketplace, and that's at a suitable number for the number of trustees who are engaging with the marketplace. Eventually, it needs to be a much more efficient workflow tool. You founded McLeod in 2012 and you launched at an event in 2013. Correct. Yeah. That, that's an incredible turnaround. Oh. You know, less than less than 12 months. I think BGL and Class they both yeah took no look quite a while. To we we have to you know we, we have to be honest that what we were launching in March of 2013 was it was literally just the idea. We had started to write code, but this is this comes back to the fundamental difference between McLeod and a software vendor. A software vendor would not have a launch where they were launching vaporware. Um, we were being transparent with people about a journey that we were suggesting might benefit a bunch of stakeholders. And we kicked off the process in March 2013. And what event? Uh, we had a, a launch. We had a formal launch in March of 2013. So you created the event? Yes, yes, okay. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and, and so what that was really was saying... This is the stake in the ground and this is how we're going to go about the process. And, and five years later, you have thousands of trustees uh, and, you know, 100, about 500 practitioners have signed up, but only about 150 of those are actively using the software because of the fact that the, the functionality for high-volume users is just not there yet. We can only be transparent with prospective users, members as to what's there. But what was interesting was even in the early days, while capital was was largely absent from the conversation, unfortunately, that slowed us up. What wasn't absent was engagement from the trustees in particular. They just kept signing up. And that's what kept us going was because we had no marketing budget. We had a product that barely existed. And yet they were signing up two or three times a day, having gone looking for us on Google search or whatever. And we were looking at that going, well, if you want validation for a business idea, there it is because you had trustees signing up two and three times a day when you had no marketing budget, a product that barely existed. That was more validation than if you had actually built the product, had a marketing budget and were getting those signups. And it was really that validation, that engagement, which kept us going uh, over an extended period when we couldn't find investors to fund McLeod in a traditional sense. And it was absolutely excruciating to be seeing the validation 
not able to access the capital and therefore unable to deliver uh, on the vision. But we continued to persevere and what was a fundamental weakness of McLeod in terms of its balance sheet has turned out to be a strength because we were able through social capital and just people contributing time and money and, and just all the bootstrapping that many startups do, we were able to get the product to a point now where people are paying us for this software under this freemium model with only $1.3 million of capital on the balance sheet. The thing about capital is it's very dangerous. If you deploy tens of millions of dollars of capital, you can't undeploy that capital. It's gone. You have a governance structure that echoes that capital. And McLeod now has this community-based capital structure, governance structure, that's highly scalable because now people are signing up in more and more numbers. We're still not doing any marketing. And so the whole process can scale up now at a fraction of the, the costs that were traditionally required for that sort of exercise. And it's all becoming very self-reinforcing. You've got thousands of users now, uh, eyeballs on the system, just driving constant improvement. You've got revenue. You said you had people contributing time. How did you write the code? Who wrote the code? That's yeah. always the bottleneck yeah. and the yeah. most expensive part. Yeah. Finding developers who believe in the vision yes. and are happy to write code yeah. with little... And And, monetary and, compensation. Yeah, and, and look, this is where governance is critical today. And I'll tell you a, a little story by way of background to my response. About 12 months ago, a guy by the name of Quincy Larson published a blog post on his website called Free Code Camp. And Quincy runs this online community called Free Code Camp, which is about teaching kids to become software developers. And Quincy wasn't happy about the fees that he was paying MailChimp, this email marketing company, for software. And 10 or 15 years ago, we lived in this world where if you didn't like what you were paying, you just really had to cough up, whether it was a taxi or software or whatever. Today, we live in this world where, well, actually, if the incumbents are charging too much, the customers might well just go out and do it themselves. And that's exactly what Quincy did. He got together with 27 other people. The code is now on GitHub, downloadable for free by anybody called Mail for Good. I appreciate that the investors that pumped all that money into MailChimp may not be happy about that, but welcomeness and validity are not correlated. If you're charging too much for the software that you're providing, your customers are now in a position where they can go out and they can collaborate online and they can just build it themselves and pay no ongoing license fees. And so that was sort of a segue into a description of how McLeod went about it because I'd been seeing that deflation for over 10 years And even before then, as a, as, a, as a lawyer, I'd been seeing this deflation. And so when we looked at the governance structure of the community, it was like, we need to anticipate that deflation. If we end up on the wrong side of that deflation, it's very hard to retrofit reality to the capital structure. If you've spent too much money, it, it's not possible to unspend it. So we were very careful and, and a whole lot of people contributed to the early days of McLeod because we made a commitment to make the core software free. And that really was the core of McLeod's success, was to have a governance structure, a capital structure, an operating model that meant that the core software was and will always be free. Because once you have that vision, that, that stake in the ground, it attracts effort from people who believe in it, just like Wikipedia or WordPress. And I have to admit that McLeod Proprietary Limited is a privately held company. It has shareholders, it has investors. There is a fiduciary obligation there, but 
the governance of that privately held company is just a small subset of the governance of the community. Developers were doing sweat equity in the early days. And so they would take equity. And so that's where McLeod differs. But I think that's a great credit to you because I think a lot of commercial founders of startups try to offer sweat capital to developers. And it's it's very difficult to get a developer interested because whether the startup succeeds or not very much depends on a lot of other yep. things. And so it's a, it's a high-risk proposition for a developer. And so I think it's very difficult to find developers who are happy to yeah, work look, for Sweat Capital. There was nobody who was working full-time on the cloud five or six years ago just for Sweat Equity. It was a combination. You know, you had people moonlighting. You had, um, you had subject matter expertise from practitioners, right, because we, we didn't have subject matter expertise. I couldn't lead that narrative. I didn't have any background in the industry. And yet we attracted practitioners onshore, offshore, who were contributing their time and no money was changing hands, not even sweat equity. It was just, we believe in this, we, we think this is a good idea. And, and really, that's how Wikipedia scaled. That's how WordPress scaled. To me, that is the, the sort of decentralised future for product development. And we're seeing even big companies now, you know, everything's becoming decentralised. There's I, I just came from stone and chalk. People don't have big offices anymore. The developers might be in India or Sri Lanka or Australia. Or it just doesn't really matter anymore where people are. So McLeod was fortunate that we already had a core team of people, subject matter experts, etc., who were capable of working in that fashion. They didn't need an office to go to each day in order to get something done. And the tools now, the, the cloud infrastructure, GitHub, all of these tools about online working is just, it's very sophisticated. If those tools didn't exist, it wouldn't have mattered how good the idea was. You just wouldn't have been able to pull it off. How did you get the name McLeod? Ah, yes. Yep. It sounds like cloud and that's on purpose, isn't it? Yes. Look, um, I used to be an IP lawyer. So I was conscious of issues as to intellectual property when I started McLeod just because of that background. And so it's a real struggle even then to come up with a domain name, a brand name that can get a trademark, a domain name that's .com, uh, that isn't too many characters, that that doesn't sound too ridiculous, uh, although nowadays it doesn't seem to matter what your domain name is. Uh, and so we had this concept of merging the cloud and the crowd And so McLeod just sort of came out of that process as a domain. The marketers would probably be horrified to think that that was how we came to it, but I don't have a background in marketing. And eventually you just tire of the process and you go, right, okay, yep, um, there is a six-character domain name that we can get a trademark for, a .com domain, and that's where the process stopped. But I, I think it's, it's worked well. But I think that branding these days the naming conventions are far less relevant now. You know, you can call something Google or Kaggle or whatever. They pass through that process much more quickly now because we live in this very decentralised, transparent world where people know, well, actually, I don't need to do due diligence here because I'm just going to kick the tyres and the thing, if this thing's no good, I'll just move on. I have some questions, but I feel like you have already answered it. My next question was, apart from pricing, how is McLeod different to Class and BGL? And I think the answer is the community. Yes, it's, 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 it's fundamentally governance. McLeod is, 
is not disruptive as to technology other than perhaps the, the, the integration with the marketplace. But ultimately, McLeod is disruptive because of governance and its capital structure. McLeod is not a software vendor. I'm quite adamant about that because I don't want to be a software vendor because I think if you're a software vendor, you're very vulnerable. Because as we've just seen from the example of Quincy Larson, if you're a software vendor and you charge lots and lots of money for your software, that may be a great thing in the short term and there may be a bunch of people that have made lots of money out of it. But my hypothesis is if you're charging lots of money and making lots of money, eventually your customers are going to go, hang on a minute, we're paying $50 million a year in license fees for a piece of software that we could build ourselves for $2 million. Why are we doing that? And so that's why McLeod is not a software vendor. It's an online community. I don't disagree with the fact that McLeod is a it, McLeod Proprietary Limited is a privately held company, but I have no intention of running McLeod or the community in such a way that anybody ever says those guys are charging too much for that software. And I suspect at some point in the future, all of the software will be just free. Then the revenue model will be wrapped up in product distribution or services marketplace or whatever. You know, Airtasker doesn't charge you to download the app. Uber doesn't charge you to download the app. Having a revenue model that's focused on the point in the value chain where marginal cost is zero is a very, very dumb idea because it makes you vulnerable to market entry. And that is exactly what is happening in the SMSF accounting space. You very much focus on trustees. Can you wrap some numbers around it? So you have 5,000 registered users. Mm -hmm. How many of those are active and actually working yeah. on one yep. or more funds? Yep. And then how many of those yep. are trustees? Yep. So you've got 3,500 trustees registered. A couple of thousand of those are active. And there's a one-to-one -one correlation there. You know, a trustee yep. is not going to manage more than one fund. Yes. You've got 500 practitioners that have registered for the software, but only 150 of those are actively using it. The others are just waiting in the wings for us to deliver new functionality. And all we can do is just be transparent. Fortunately, with revenues and the momentum, things are starting to move much more quickly. Those 150 have added about a thousand, thousand funds. So you've got sort of two and a half to 3,000 active funds across those two segments. And, and that is really crucial now because those eyeballs are driving improvements to the software on a daily basis. And it's much, much easier now to prioritise the effort because it's just squeaky wheel. You just wake up every day and you just oil the squeakiest wheel and you just keep going. I think you sometimes or you often describe McLeod as a community-driven platform. Mm -hmm. And what does the community actually do apart from using, mm -hmm. using McLeod? Yep. I mean, they don't write code or... Uh, yeah, look, blog posts or, you know, what, yep. what does the community drive mm -hmm. look yep. like? Yep. I'll give you an example. So Lorraine Cobcroft is a trustee user of long standing. And the longer the standing, the more patient they've had to be. So Lorraine lives on the north coast of New South Wales. She's a self-funded retiree like so many others. And she is also the editor of our user manual. And so Lorraine manages that process by which the user manual is updated. I had a conversation with another trustee user, Doug Turner, last week, who is going to provide us with a whole bunch of template documents that we've been meaning to get around so they can just go and grab a template document for this or that or whatever. And so in the early days, there were practitioners who gave us subject, provided subject matter expertise to the developers to let us 
get moving. But now you've got individual trustees contributing, you've got practitioners contributing ideas. We think you need to do this this way or whatever. And we're about to launch within the the community version, the free version, community support. At the moment, if you want tech support, you've got to be on the pro version and pay 30 bucks a year. But soon, if you don't want to pay anything, you'll be able to ask a question of the community and get it answered by the community. If you look at software as a service models now, virtually all of them have a community version. That is the future. And then you also describe McLeod as agile. Mm -hmm. I assume that refers to the coding approach of agile. It, it's more than that, really. Let, let's compare McLeod with a traditional organizational structure for a startup, right? In the old world, You know, you would come up with an idea, you'd write a business plan, you'd go and raise five or ten million dollars or a million or whatever it was, you'd hire a bunch of people, you'd stick them in a room and you'd, you'd hope that you managed to pull it off and everybody wins. In this sort of disruptive deflationary context, I think that that approach is very dangerous. McLeod was completely agile as to its entire model from day one. We, we just morphed on a daily basis to reflect the contributions From the, from the stakeholders, what was the highest value target that we could be working on at that point in time. And, and so you can't really have a top-down organisational structure of any sort when you are as decentralised as McLeod is and when you have a founder who has no subject matter expertise, who has no technical skills. Some people would say, well, gosh, you know, um, The probability of McLeod succeeding under those circumstances must be zero because the guy has no idea about the industry that he's targeting. He has no skills in, in software development or cloud computing or all of this stuff. So that's a really bad idea. I won't invest in it, which is kind of the response we got. Um, but if you were to say, if you were to think like that, then Travis Kalanick would never have been able to start Uber because Travis didn't go to Uber taxi conferences. He didn't drive a taxi. He just envisioned a future that was very customer-centric and where costs fell by 50% literally overnight, and he worked his way back from there. And he was far better than I at raising capital and may have raised too much. So this idea that you somehow need to be from an industry in order to disrupt an industry, I think that's, that's very 2008. McLeod on AWS and mm -hmm. I think that relationship was at the very beginning already. I think you've always been with AWS. Oh, yeah. Is it easy to specify that you want all data stored in Australia? Yes, yes. So we're, we're very fortunate. You know, McLeod would not exist without AWS. As McLeod has redefined the cost of SMSF administration, AWS has redefined the cost of cloud computing. People would be shocked to know how cheap it is to rent computing power on AWS. You can rent machine learning computers from AWS at four cents an hour. It is incredible how costs have come down in cloud computing. But and not, not just through AWS. I oh, yeah, no, Google, Google Cloud and Azure. Yeah, I, I really only know AWS because I've been there for 10 years or more. So AWS is great because, you know, there's a Sydney region. So if you have data governance issues that require you to have hosting in Australia, then you just stick the service in Sydney, as we have done. AWS is infinitely scalable, infinitely flexible, and so we are hosted in AWS Sydney region, just like the incumbents. Do you know where exactly in Sydney the servers are? No, I don't. Um, probably a well-kept secret. The reality is that redundancy has been addressed through physical uh, separation. 
So you have multiple availability zones and that's how they've managed to create the, the level of redundancy. It's called nine nines of redundancy or something, 99 with nine decimal places. I don't profess to be an expert in the technology. I'm fortunate to have people around me who are. All I understand is that costs have just been in free fall for 10 years. It is just breathtaking. That's a nice thing to have, isn't it? Oh. To have your suppliers oh, reduce absolutely. prices but, again and but, again. But, but AWS Usually is... it's the other way around. But this is the, the thing about AWS is a proxy for the deflation that McLeod represents because once the marginal cost of you using that computing power is zero, which it is, the price falls towards zero and it becomes all about scale. And so you can talk about the pros and cons of Amazon's success but if Amazon is just a proxy for this process of deflation, we all want to pay less for books or video streaming or cloud computing. And if we want to pay less, then the structure of industries is going to change and become more concentrated. And I don't think there is anything anybody can do about that unless you want to have a conversation about capitalism itself. You list five partners on the McLeod website from BMR, Corporate Solutions, to Lime, actually. Mm -hmm. Can you walk me through quickly what these five partners do? And are they partners because they are also shareholders or are they partners because they provide a core function of the McLeod software? Yep. I'll give you an example. Logit is probably the best example. So, you know, we've talked about the capital structure of McLeod and just how capital light it is. So we could have spent hundreds of thousands of dollars building direct integration, SBR integration with the tax office, as the incumbents have done, and I appreciate that there are advantages to, to that direct integration. But there are more than one ways to skin a cat, and Logit already had a sophisticated SBR solution, and so we simply reached a channel agreement with Logit. At the moment, you've got to export this XML file and import this Logit, and it's a pain in the ass. And within 12 months, it will have to have changed because we have practitioner clients who want to move large volumes of funds, and they are not going to do, do Logment that way. They're not going to have to because we'll just build API integration into McLeod. They'll press a button just like they're used to doing, and off goes the, the, the tax return to the, the tax office. The thing is, we won't have spent hundreds of thousands of dollars we will give Logit a proportion of the $30 instead of spending capital. And so the partnerships with McLeod are also all about reinforcing the decentralization, the decentralization, the, the capital light structure of the community, because it just does not make us make sense for us to deploy capital or operating expenditure unless we absolutely have to. And the marketplace is, is, is a, a further example of that. We don't need to have capabilities in audit or admin or this or that, the marketplace can provide that and be inherently scalable. If we need more actuarial certificates to be generated through the system, we have actuarial certificate providers who can do that. And so McLeod's role is about the governance of that community in order to ensure scalability, because if you have scalability, everybody benefits. A lot of us pay 10 or $15 a month to Netflix to watch as much binging content as we want. The reason you pay so little is because of scale. The reason we pay so little for Amazon Web Services or Zua is because of scale. So you have five partners and I assume that BMR, Logit and Sys, they are part of McLeod. They offer the daily data feeds. They offer the lodging. They offer the um, online setup of SMSS. But then you also have various 
I might not pronounce it correctly, Verus and Lime, mm -hmm. and they provide actuary certificates, I assume that they are different in that they offer a product that trustees then can buy or sell. So it's like they offer merchandise, whereas the other three are kind of part of the core yep. function. Yeah, yeah, yep. So not everybody needs an actuarial certificate, but you have this integration where you can just press a button and, you know, buy an actuarial certificate. I see. So Verus um, and Lime, they are integrated with McLeod. Yep, yep. I see. I've had a couple of... Uh, product conversations today here in Sydney. I expect the the McLeod ecosystem to grow just as it has with with the incumbent vendors. It'll be at price points that are disruptive, whether it's robo advice or investment advice or whatever it happens to be. On your website, you show server response times. Mm -hmm. And that surprised me because I hadn't seen that at other websites, you know, like Klaus and Vigier, they don't show yep. that. Do you show it because it's just easily available from AWS or do you show it because it used to be an issue and now you can show that it's no longer an issue? Yep. It, it's, it's very easy to do it out of AWS, but it's more about McLeod being the new kid on the block and building confidence trust. from people. It's about trust. It's about transparency. Eventually, people won't care about it just like they don't care about it with the incumbents because it's a given. We take so much for granted now, even though train networks crash occasionally. We take so much for granted in terms of the computing infrastructure that we all use on a daily basis because of the, the scale of the investment that has gone in over the last 10 years. Mm. You mentioned the $30 before. You said that Logit gets a portion of the $30. Mm -hmm. And that's you referring to the license fee, isn't it? Because there's a $30 license fee, isn't it? That's only for professionals. That's not for trustees, no, correct? We have pretty much the same licensing model for trustees and practitioners. So you, you have this community version, this free forever version, which is really the core software, your daily ASX data feeds. And we hope to add other functionality in there in time, peer-to-peer -peer analytics. Exactly, um, but you don't have online lodgement, you don't have TV, yeah. you don't have bank and data fees. Yeah, as I said, McLeod Proprietary Limited is a privately held company. It needs a revenue model. The community needs a revenue model in, in order to be sustainable. And so we've settled over a period of time on this combination of a freemium revenue model for the software a transactional model in the marketplace, and that may change over time. I can see a situation where product distribution services marketplace generates as much as, if not more, revenue than would come from license fees, and so you just end up giving the software away for free. There may be some shareholders who don't agree with me, but, you know, we'll have yeah. a conversation down the track. Just to look at your prices again, so you have a free model, mm -hmm. you have a pro model that is $33 per fund per mm -hmm. year, and then you have a premium model of $77 per fund per year yep. and pro brings in the online lodgement and t-bar and then premium brings in the bank and data feed where does the uh, license fee come come in 30 dollars is the license fee ah i see so the 33 is 30 per plus gst yes and then you can upgrade from the 30 to the 70 plus gst yep. Yep. okay so we've so got costs there in relation to getting the bank and broker feeds set up and so the increment reflects the marginal cost of those feeds. Yes, because the banks charge for, for yes. bank yeah. and data fees, which hopefully changes with, mm -hmm. the open, mm -hmm. with the open banking. How difficult is it to get banks to send their data? Is it relatively easy once you agree to their fees or is it quite difficult to get banks to agree to for, to a data feed. You cover ANZ, Westpac, Commonwealth and NAP and then also 
quite a handful of smaller yeah. banks. Yeah, so, so we, a bit like Lodgement, we avoided the capital investment associated with direct feeds, even though there are some, technically some advantages. But we went through an aggregator called Sysdata Services that uh, I, I know some of the incumbents use, and so they have established relationships with all the banks. So they're like an information broker. So they're an aggregator. Yeah, they're a broker. And so they've been a, a very effective partner for us over over the last few years, enabling us to, to set up data feeds. We also have a direct relationship with Macquarie. So Macquarie CMA is integrated for practitioners. So a lot of funds are use Macquarie. A lot of practitioners basically if you have a, what's called an ESI code, you can just go into the system and enter your ESI code and, and set up the integration with McLeod and start adding funds and the data comes straight through from Macquarie. That's included in the pro version for practitioners, the $30, because the marginal cost of getting the data from Macquarie is zero. They don't charge. And as you reference, open banking is about to transform the whole landscape by making that data freely available and, and allowing clients to nominate where it gets sent. You don't integrate with practice management software, do you? No, that's a, that's a bridge too far for now, Heidi. I, I look forward to the day when integration with practice management software is the squeakiest wheel and we can look at it, but no, it's not on our radar screen. Mm-hmm. And, and when we last spoke, you mentioned a huge development in the pipeline that you first wanted to come through before we meet. Can you tell me about that? Yeah, now, look, the... Yep. No, no. I, 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 not only can I remember, I can't forget, Heidi. Um, so, so one of the biggest projects we have on, go, on the go at the moment is what we call our centralised transaction screen. And so we've built this core software, we've got this data layer, but what is absent and what is essential for high-volume practitioner users is workflow automation. Without that, McLeod is really not a fit-for-purpose product. And we've, we've been at pains to explain that. Basically, what we have to deliver is a transaction environment, a centralised environment where practitioners can see all of the data from all its sources. They can create allocation rules. They can split transactions. They can bulk code. They can do all the things that they're used to doing. It's several months away. It's a December quarter deliverable. We had hoped for September quarter, but I think it as of the 20th of August, that's an unrealistic timeline. But it will transform McLeod for high volume users. And at that point, there'll be a bunch of other things that we will want to target. But at that point, it will become, I would like to, to think and I would argue, a realistic alternative for a far greater number of users, practitioners, in particular, because it it will be the first stake in the ground in terms of workflow automation. It's by no means the finish line, and we'll talk about that uh, in the next session, but it is absolutely critical. We've been working closely with a number of admin firms. They've provided funding. They've worked with on the specification process. They'll work closely with us on the testing process. It's just another example of this collaborative capital light operating model allowing us to deliver or target delivery of functional replication at price points that are 70 to 90% less. And that's very simple maths. You you deploy 90% less capital, you have 90% less operating expenses, and you charge 90% less. You don't need a PhD in accounting or economics to figure it out. Welcome back. It will be interesting to see how open banking changes the landscape of accounting software. In the next episode, episode 59, Ian Taylor, the chair of the Tax Practitioners Board, will talk about how to register and maintain that registration as a tax practitioner. Until then, thank you for listening. Bye for now and see you in the next episode.